The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word of God for the people of God. Hey, we've been working our way through this series, uh, particularly for those of you who are new here, called The Kingdom of God, where we've been uh, tracing the scriptures and looking at them through the lens of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is this unifying theme that kind of holds all of the scriptures together. So grateful to be again on that journey with you. And good morning to those of you who are down in the fellowship hall. Uh, grateful that you're, uh, that you're with us uh, down there. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and as we've been going through this series, we've hit on a number of topics uh, that have something in common. We've talked about the priority of the kingdom, the pattern of the kingdom, the principle of the kingdom, the prelude to the kingdom, the prophets in the kingdom. Uh, Isaiah Lewis, our church planting resident, picked up on a theme in its student ministry last week, talked about the prayer of the kingdom. And this week, we talk about the presence of the kingdom of God, the presence of the kingdom of God, which means we're going to talk an awful lot about the person of Jesus Christ, all right? So if you're one of the, the children who's with us and you grabbed one of those Cormdale kid sheets from Miss Lee as you were coming in, there's a spot on that front page where you can tally how many times I say Jesus or Christ, and I challenge you to try to keep up because you're going to have a hard time, all right? And I will give you the freedom, too, that when I get north of 50, 60, 70 times, feel free to yell out the amens and the booyahs. Kids, this is your church. Let's have some fun. All right, the presence of the kingdom of God. The theological construct that we've been using for this series is that the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. That should sound familiar to you. And Jesus, what we're going to see this morning, is the fulfillment of that construct. The Old Testament, in some ways, serves as a giant arrow in and of itself, pointing ahead to Jesus as being the fulfillment of those things. And then the New Testament, in and of itself, points back as a giant arrow, pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of these things. Graham Goldsworthy, in his book, Gospel and Kingdom, says this, We have defined the kingdom of God as God's people in God's place under God's rule. Now we discover that the New Testament sees the primary point for reference for each of these aspects is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the true people of God, the true kingly sphere, and the true rule of God. Jesus' presence changes everything. Jesus in and of himself is the new Adam. He's the person that Adam failed to be, and Jesus is the new Israel, the people Israel failed to be. And now the people of God are identified by their union with him, which means Jesus for us secures for us a new identity in Christ. Outside of him, we are not the people of God. In Christ, we are his people. But not only that, Jesus is the new 
temple, the people of God find their place, their home in union with him. Jesus provides a new home, a new refuge in Christ. Outside of Jesus, we would still be living and functioning under Adam's curse. We would be alienated. Sin, sickness, death would be our future. But in Jesus, we are recipients of the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, a place to call home where sickness and sin will rule no more. Jesus also is the new covenant. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the law maker and the law keeper. And the people of God now submit to the rule of God in union with him. This is why in the Gospels, right, the crucifixion is depicted as an enthronement of a king. We see that Jesus receives a crown. They put a robe on him. And then they exalt him up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. Because you see, Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. He has to go through the cross, he has to go into the grave, and he has to rise and ascend himself to the right hand of the Father, where he rules as King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, outside of the rule and reign of Jesus, there is no end to the tyranny of faulty and broken leaders and rulers in this world. But in Jesus, we have a king who rules with justice and righteousness forever. Praise God, brothers and sisters. This is what this means, that that in Jesus, by his grace, through faith, these are our promises. These are our gospel truths. This is what we can receive to give us peace. And praise God, non-Christian friends, skeptics who've been joining us, those who have felt compelled by the kingdom of God, those who have felt, hey, there's something about this kingdom that I find really, really attractive. Hey, good news, you can get in on this today. Like this morning, right? Like the kingdom of God is at hand. And the invitation from Jesus is to repent and believe the gospel. Enter into this kingdom by placing your hope in faith in Jesus. You see, in Jesus, we find this new life-giving meaning to what it means to be God's people, in God's place, under God's rule, in union with Jesus Christ. So here's the big idea. The presence of the kingdom of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. The presence of the kingdom of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And friends, this is not merely a theological reality. This is a transformational reality. People are transformed. People are changed through the presence of the kingdom of God. And that is most clearly seen in the scriptures as you go through the accounts of the gospels and you watch Jesus' life and ministry. You see, the presence of God and the presence of the kingdom of God changes people because the person of Jesus Christ changes people. His presence is transformative. Now, when we're talking about a person's presence, this is something that's really intuitive. It's really intangible. It's something that it's experienced more than it is explained. It's how you are with people, not who you are, not what you do, not what you say, but how you are with people. And Jesus's presence gives us a glimpse into the presence of the kingdom of God. It shows us what it's like, its tone, its vibe, its aroma, its spirit. If you want to get a sense of what the kingdom of God feels like, you look to the 
You look to the person of Jesus Christ and how he interacted with people around him. Because you see, Jesus, not only did he teach an awful lot about the kingdom of God, not only did he illustrate the kingdom of God, but Jesus in and of himself was an embodiment of the kingdom of God. And we can learn a lot by just looking at his life and how he interacts with others. So here's what we're going to see this morning. I want to look at Jesus' presence with others, particularly with the sick, with the sinner, and with the self-righteous. With the sick, with the sinner, and with the self-righteous. And what we're going to see is that Jesus' presence was, was constantly available, vulnerable, and trustworthy. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look. Jesus' presence with the sick. If you're in Mark chapter 1, you're in a good spot. We're just going to go down from verses 14 and 15 to verse 40. There's this story about Jesus cleansing a leper. It starts in verse 40 and says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Leprosy would have been a very highly contagious skin condition. If you were diagnosed with this, you would have been moved outside of the people of God because of how contagious it was, and you would just spend your time outside the people of God. It would have been easy to see. You would have looked at, it, looked at someone who had this, and you likely would have just kind of turned your eyes away. And it's, it, it's easy to see as you just even imagine what it would have been like to have, some, to, to, to have this uh, the amount of shame that would come along with it. Because see, sickness and shame, they have a way of kind of working together. Um, even in my immediate family, we've got some people who struggle with chronic illness, right? Just, just ongoing chronic illness. And here's the, the one thing that you hear for people who struggle with sickness. There's something wrong with me. And that's the voice of shame in the soul. There's something wrong with me. So how does Jesus respond to this? Well, go ahead and look again down at verse 41. It says, moved with pity, compassion, empathy, kindness. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy let, let, left him, and he was made clean. Imagine what it would have been like to go months, years without being touched. And then Jesus moves towards the sick with his presence. He moves towards with compassion, with kindness, with empathy, and he touches. You see the sympathy the sympathy of God in Jesus. And the unique thing about the power and the presence of Jesus is through this touch, he's not made unclean, but rather through this touch, he makes clean. This man experienced the transformational power of the presence of Jesus Christ. Pick it up, it says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. 
and people were coming to him from every quarter. Hey, this, is, this is more than just somebody who's an extrovert who was just locked up for a while and was outside of camp, and now he can come back in, and he's just like talking to everybody, right? This is somebody who's been transformed by the presence of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He's experienced healing. He's experienced his dignity being restored through physical touch, and he wants to go out and talk about the dynamics of the kingdom of God because he wants other people to get in on this reality. Some of you struggle with sickness and chronic illness. Your body doesn't function the way that it was supposed to. Some of you are getting older in years, and it, you're having a hard time wrestling and dealing with the fact that your body can't do now what it used to be able to do. Some of you are physically fine, but you feel the overwhelming sense of shame that this text even describes. What happens when the presence of the kingdom of God comes in contact with those who feel marked by sickness and shame? Compassion, kindness, touch restoring dignity, hope, and healing. It's the presence of the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' presence with the sick. Let's look at Jesus' presence with the sinner. And for here, I want to invite you to, to flip over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, we're commanded to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Uh, this passages I've even been thinking on it over the last few days has kind of created even more rage in me, like just frustration. I think it's a righteous anger because what we see here is this woman is being used as a prop by the religious leaders of that day. How do we know that? Well, she was caught in the act of adultery. And if you go back and you read the law of Moses in Leviticus 20, it says that both him and her should be brought out and, and stoned. But where's he? Right? This is a power play by the religious leaders to try to make a point, to try to trap Jesus. No concern about her dignity, no concern about her welfare, no concern about what's going on in her heart, no concern about her story. They just want to use her as an example to try to trap Jesus, and in the midst of that, she's going to experience judgment and condemnation. She's vulnerable. The type of vulnerability that you might feel if you were to walk in here on a Sunday morning and just imagine for a moment that you come in and you sit down and on these screens, there's this rolling list and what you see is your name and the sins you've committed over the last month, right? Just imagine. Vulnerable. Now, what's Jesus's first move? What's his presence like with the sinner? Well, we see right away that his presence is protective. He says, and as they continued to ask him, which means they're just being persistent with him, 
he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Do you see him leveling the playing field? Right, I'm going to take the focus off her. I'm going to put the focus back on you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right, if we're going to talk about sin, let's define sin rightly. Okay? It's much more than just this, this adultery, like your hearts are marked by sin. Let's have that conversation. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. The first movement that he does is one of protection. And then he follows it up with grace and mercy and forgiveness. See, some of, some of you, um, man, you're, you're like me. When, when, when there's sin in your life, what you want to do is you just want to hide it. You just want to bury it. Let's not talk about it. Let's go ahead and put it away. And the reason why we do that is because we don't want it to come out in the light because it's a vulnerable place to be. We're not safe there. Man, the sinner is safe in the presence of Jesus because Jesus' presence is protective. He doesn't use moments like this to judge and to condemn no. What happens when the presence of the kingdom of God comes in contact with the sinner? Protection happens. Grace happens. Forgiveness happens. Mercy happens. The presence of the kingdom of God moves towards the sinner, not with judgment, not with condemnation, but with mercy and an invitation to walk in newness of life. Don't miss the invitation. I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. It's this invitation that says, you no longer have to be identified by your sin. You no longer have to be identified by what you have done or what has been done to you. Rather, in this moment, you can step and walk in newness of life with a new identity, filled with grace, filled with forgiveness. She's going to have a new power to do this when the Holy Spirit comes upon her, right? So it's not just a blank check to go do whatever you want to do. It's this invitation to walk in righteousness, but it's motivated by grace, She's changed. So we've seen Jesus' presence with the sick. We've seen Jesus' presence with the sinner. Let's finish by looking at Jesus' presence with the self-righteous. And to do so, we're going to go back to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, now watch his presence, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had a great 
many possessions. My final years of high school, there was uh, three moments that were really formative for me. Uh, one, uh, I started dating the uh, dance team captain. Her name was Tracy Teeson. Went on to be uh, the future Tracy Curtis, right? Uh, I was named prom king my senior year. Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and then at our, uh, at our senior party, I was voted most respected. Now, like I said, those things all had a formative influence on me because in that moment, in that moment, in that period of time, I began to believe this, this false, twisted truth that, that was, uh, you will be accepted if you're respected, right? If you're respected by others, then you'll receive acceptance. And that was pretty formative for me uh, through high school, through college, early on, because you know what? I was actually pretty good at earning people's respect. Um, I could work hard, fairly competent in what I was doing, um, and, and people would just naturally respect me. I was good at it until I wasn't, right? I was good at it until I wasn't. Um, any moment I experienced like public critique or criticism, man, I had to double down to try to earn respect back. So I have these formative moments of like times that run really well, but then I also have a number of these moments where, um, man, what, what sticks out is people challenging or trying to undermine my respect and me not responding in the best ways. I know this about myself. I also know this really affected the way that I interacted with other people. For example, um, if, if you didn't have my respect, I probably was not gonna move towards you in a meaningful way. But if you did have my respect, I valued you and I kind of wanted to be around you. Um, now, again, Jesus grabbed my heart and, and, and transformed me when I was about 25 years old and, and, and helped me to see this little kingdom, right? The ways in which my little self-righteous heart began to create this little kingdom that at its foundation was this idea of respect um, and, and, and began to kind of dismantle it. And uh, over time, again, I was in with Jesus. I began to sense, man, this, this little kingdom is beginning to crumble um, until there was this one moment. And this was... This was 2006. Um, I remember, I, I don't remember the specific thing, but I remember the Sunday um, that I was at Corondale Church. We were meeting at 1316 Jones Street. At that time, we were a ragtag group of 50 people trying to plant a church. And again, I was walking with Jesus, but Jesus began to really press on me the fact that um, I was trying to put together and piece together this little mini kingdom of my own. My self-righteous heart was wanting to do this, and he was trying to knock that all down and invite me into something greater in something more stable. And I can remember um, feeling that conviction and going up to two men after the service, Will Linger, Bob Thune, and said, hey, men, I need you to pray for me. I think the Lord's doing something, moving into a deeper level of repentance here. Um, would you just pray for me? Because this, this kingdom that I've been building for the last 10 years is starting to fall apart. I don't know what to do. Um, how about you? We're all little kingdom builders each and every one of us. The question is, is what's at the foundation of your little personal kingdom? Like for me, it was respect. For you, it could be success. It could be family. It could be acceptance. It could be wealth, stability, comfort. We're all little kingdom builders and what Jesus wants to do for those who are trying to find their righteousness, trying to find what makes them right by their self, the self-righteous, 
is he moves towards them in a particular way. Again, look at the text here in verse 21. It says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You see, Jesus sees the self-righteous. Jesus loves the self-righteous. And Jesus offers the self-righteous something far greater than what you can build with your own little hands. Right? His kingdom of God is so full of bounty and so wanting to give away that if you would just come and enter into this kingdom, you'll find the fullness of what you're looking for on this earth. But it's a kingdom that won't be moved, that won't be shaken because it's led by a king who's stable and good and just. Jesus invites us to completely surrender to his kingdom. For some, for some of you, that surrender is a one-time right now in this moment. I need to finally surrender and lay down and trust in Jesus and stop building my own kingdom and give myself over to his kingdom. But let's be honest. I still try to piece together this kingdom of respect in my own life. I still try to put it together and try to live by it, right? Repentance is ongoing, right? It's an ongoing process of continuing to turn away from that and to trust in Jesus. This was the invitation, right, that we saw when Jesus came on the scenes in the gospel of Mark, right? The very beginning, chapter one, verse 14 and 15, Ruth read it for us, right? It was this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Give yourself to a kingdom that matters and a kingdom that will last. So Jesus' invitation is to turn from your shame, to believe that Jesus' presence moves towards you with compassion, with healing, and he sets you free to live for his kingdom. Jesus' invitation is to turn from your sin, to believe that his presence will protect you, that he will move towards you with grace and forgiveness and set you free to live for his kingdom. In Jesus' invitation, sometimes it's the hardest one to embrace, but it is out there. Turn from your self-righteousness and believe that Jesus' presence sees you, loves you, and offers you something far better in his kingdom. And he sets you free to live for his kingdom. And here's the unique paradox of the gospel. Once you've been set free to live for his kingdom, the presence of the kingdom of God begins to move through you. Once you've been liberated by the Holy Spirit, you've been set free, the Holy Spirit begins to move through you. Therefore, the way that the world experiences the presence of the kingdom of God is through your presence, which means your presence matters. How you relate to one another matter. How you're being changed and transformed matters. And all of that flows out of being in the presence of Jesus. The people of God have been set free to be ambassadors for Christ. The people of God have been set free to be the body of Christ, the presence of Christ. The people of God have been set free to be an expression of the kingdom of God. So how's the world going to know what the kingdom of God feels like? what its aromas like, what its vibes like, 
It's going to be through being with you if you're part of his people. Listen to this quote from Rich Plass and Jim Cofield as we close. He said, By God's design, the presence of Christ often comes to us through the life of others. When others show up with a completely available, vulnerable, trusting presence, their ability to be present by the grace of the gospel helps transform our presence. Now get this. The most powerful thing you have to offer others is your transformed and transforming presence. That changes the way you show up to gospel community. That changes the way you show up on a Sunday morning. That changes the way that you engage the life of a faith community. It's not about what you show up and say. It's not about what you show up and do. What we're going to remember about this moment in time, 10, 15, 20 years from now, is going to be what it felt like to be a part of it, what the presence was like. The most important thing you can bring into any situation, any relationship, any community is your spirit-filled, transformed, and transforming presence. Because the presence of the kingdom of God is, yes, seen in the person of Jesus Christ, but now it's being expressed through you. Let's pray and ask for God's grace in that. King Jesus, I feel like maybe just in this moment, we just need to sit, sit with you for, for a second, that we just need to experience a little bit of um, still silence in this moment to consider these truths and to give our soul a chance to respond, to give our soul a chance to speak. So Jesus, in this moment, we... We just want to profess and we want to sit underneath the truth that you are a better king of a better kingdom. You are a better king of a better kingdom. Help us to experience your presence in a way that changes us, matures us, and grows us so we can be used as agents to proclaim the goodness of your kingdom through our own actual lives. It's in your good, glorious, great name we pray. Amen.